I go through frustration, anger, you know, depression, all of these things to try to pull myself up every day and say, today's going to be a good day. We're going to get through this to go through that, you know, <laughs> roller coaster in a day. But think about the people that are living alone that don't have, you know, people to talk to and them around. So, um, you know, people are going to be at different stages when we get back to, to the office and it's going to be a phased approach because not everyone will be unlocked, you know, at that time. So we just have to find different ways to engage. Um, some is with our, um, you know, our characters, our, you know, the, the Disney magic. And then some is really trying to address their, their need of, I need to, to uh, have a dialogue with AAP. I need to vent to someone. I have frustration. I, you know, I need to work through this, right? Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Finding Equilibrium show. I'm delighted to be here, delighted you're here, and delighted that my guest today is Ter Teresa Hudzinski. Now, Teresa is the Head of Workforce Management for Disney in Shanghai, um, and also the President of the IPWS, the International Professional Women's Society. So, uh, and of course, uh, you're based in Shanghai, and, uh, and at the time of recording, you're going through... Um, in a quite a quite a challenging lockdown period. So first of all, how, how are you? Uh, how are you coping with um, uh, with the current uh, context that you find yourself in? You know, I think it, it's definitely a uh, roller coaster of emotions, and um, a bit different than twenty twenty uh, when uh, we went through this. Um, in twenty twenty, uh, when Shanghai uh, experienced this, we had very few cases in that area, and we were able to shut down. And nobody really went out. Everything was closed. Uh, and, you know, you kind of had these key milestones that kept you going, but you were engaged with work. I mean, I think I was only off the job site for um, maybe two weeks, and that was around Chinese New Year, right? But we were consistently there. We were just marching towards reopening and when they would let us to reopen. Um, what is different, you know, this time in 2022 is that there is, you know, extreme uncertainty and the game rules keep changing. And so, um, and that really has, you know, provided a lot of people, we, we've lived with uncertainty, but this is, is worse than uncertainty because it's the uncertain, 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 you know, <laughs> you know times a thousand, right? Um, and we really started going through this uh, at the beginning, well, actually it's the beginning of the year where we would have random lockdowns. You know, you had buildings um, close with people working in it for two days so that they could test and, and do that. Um, we also had, you know, we had Ikea close for two days with people in it, you know, that, you know, then they tested from that. And things like that happened through January and February really disrupting life. And then in March, it really kind of took off where they were locking kids in school for hours, eight hours, nine hours, you know, to do testing. No one could leave while they were doing testing. Um, so there was a lot of uncertainty. And then they started just really locking down communities, right? And people were just stuck, right? And so you didn't know what you were when you woke up uh, in the morning, <laughs> am I going to be able to leave my house? Am I gonna be able to get to the, the, um, to the office? Um, I remember very vividly, my daughter had switched to online learning on the 14th of March. Um, I went into, I was working from home that day to help her do that. 
And then Tuesday, I was back in the office. Wednesday, I woke up to get ready for school or get ready for, for work and a note from our um, housing that said, oh, you are locked in for um, two days, 48 hours, we're gonna do these tests. Well, that 48 hours turned into six days at that time. So, um, and with several tests around the way, but lots of uh, lack of communication, right? And a lots of like, you know, you're just in limbo and waiting. Um, so we have been in some sort of form of lockdown since that day on March 16th. Uh, and then on the 1st of April, uh, we went into complete lockdown that we couldn't leave our build, like our apartment. Um, so we have now gotten down to the pet where we can actually leave the apartment and go to our grassy area, but we can't leave the complex. So from a personal aspect, aside from the work, it just keeps changing, right? There's lots of, you know, just quiet, no testing, nothing, just quiet. And we don't know what's happening. Then uh, I have two young children, a seven and a four-year-old and, you know, keeping them <laughs> stuck in a house, you know, without being able to go outside. Uh, has been quite challenging and the emotion that they're having right from from that aspect so then that adds a bit of pressure and tension for yourself to say you can't solve what they're going through right you can't fix it for, for mm -hmm. this moment and then you know from the work aspect we were actually still open a week uh, before uh, or a week after I was locked in um, but with very a low number like a thousand people like you know it was probably the best experience those people had, um, but they had to have a test within 24 hours of coming to the to Disney. Um, so we had to, to double check that. And then we closed down. And so trying to keep track of 10,000 people, you know, and what type of condition they're in, what type of lockdown they're in, um, has been quite a challenge and trying to continue to engage them and make sure they get communication from us um, so that they hear something. In addition, we have dorms out of that 10,000 people, uh, three to 4,000 people in dorms. And so I don't know if you remember your university days and your dorm <laughs> residence in your dorm room. Uh, they're quite small and four people to a room. So you can imagine the emotion, you know, that is um, going on there when they can't leave their dorm room uh, from, from that aspect. And we did have, you know, obviously COVID was going around, there's cases and there's even stricter um, requirements at, at that point. So it's just been, you know, a roller coaster of emotions, but, you know, not that much highs, more like those small little like dip, 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 dip um, from, from that. So it's just a lot kind of going on and we're, we're getting closer to coming out of it. Um, and then we have to kind of rebuild from that. But I think what I find this time is that there, because of lack of communication um, and, and a bit of transparency, that there is, the trust is gone. So many people are leaving Shanghai at the, you know, are planning to, or if they're going to go home for the summer, they're packing like they're not coming back uh, from, from that aspect. So um, we will get through this, but there's going to be quite a lot of costs, um, both physically and emotionally. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, it sounds like 
like you're in under you've been under house arrest in many ways you know like being literally not not able to not able to and that's challenging for everybody but of course with you and your role having ten thousand people how have you been able to engage with them um, given the the level of uncertainty and nobody likes uncertainty and particularly when you work for a company everyone asks those questions like when are we going to come out of this when can we go back to to normal and of course you have have no answers to those questions so i'm curious how disney particularly disney with the philosophy that disney has around you know happiness and joy and all of the things that disney represents in people's minds how has disney um, been able to keep the workforce engaged during this period of um, you know intense uncertainty um, where there is no clarity on when it is actually going to going to end uh, i think that this again this one is um different than 2020 right we were able to we just had cast members that were kind of was sitting around waiting for us to be able to reopen so we we do have a um kind of a cast uh, or an employee app you know that we engage with that um we've done like a ton of sharing sessions you know where you know experts from you know our our um you know like our horticulture right and things like that or our chefs they're doing sessions you know where they can engage people and people can learn more right and um you know of course our eap programs you know um lots of that from the meditation to how to do like the nighttime yoga um things from that but i, I would tell you where we struggle a little bit this time is that um for this this period of time people's basic needs were not being met right and if we look at that that hierarchy so a lot of the time and we still are here right for from pulling that out so it's making sure we get you know um the care packages out to them to make sure that they're getting food right or or you know making sure you know they know how to do the group buys you know that are happening so that they can get things delivered because right now we can't you know if i order something you know from my my local um, grocery store, you know, you can't get it, right? You have to get for these group buys. There's just not enough people to work. They're all locked down when right. it comes to it. And the supply chain is completely uh, backed up. So there's food, but there's not delivery people to be able to bring it to you, right? From, from that aspect. Um, you know, I, I joke as I think, I know this is better when the 20 things that I bought or 20,000 things I bought online actually get to me, right? When that one thing gets through, that's not a group buy, you know? So, We've, we've had to spend a lot of time addressing that, you know, and I think as we continue to do this, then we have to phase it, you know, as they start to come back to work and how what, how we um, address each part of their emotional phases as they come back, right? Because I would tell you right now, they just need to get their emotions out, right? And we've got to find a way for them to do the outlet, you know, from that. Um, they've been isolated from people. So even for my sake, you know, I go through frustration, anger, you know, depression, all of these things to try to pull myself up every day and say, today's going to be a good day. We're going to get through this to go through that, you know, roller coaster in a day. But think about the people that are living alone that don't have, you know, people to talk to and, and them around. So, um, you know, people are going to be at different stages when we get back to, to the office and it's going to be a phased approach because not everyone will be unlocked, you know, at that time. So we just have to find different ways to engage. Um, some is with our, um, you know, our characters, our, you know, the, the Disney magic. And then some is really trying to address their, their need of, I need to, to 
uh, have a dialogue with AAP. I need to vent to someone. I have frustration. I, you know, I need to work through this, right? So. Yeah. And we're seeing that around the world, I guess, now that many parts of the world are coming out of lockdown and are getting back to normal life. What we're seeing, of course, is that a lot of people are going through post-traumatic stress. You know, people, it's not just a case of just, OK, now, now it's over. Let's go and kick back. Of course, everyone's gone through trauma. And we're seeing that, you know, through the work we do is that many businesses had perhaps underestimated the level of support that is required just to help people really readjust to normal living for two years it's been you know very fear-based um, approach to communication and uh, and to people so now we're gathering again um it's not as easy as just let's kind of pick up where we left off because people yes. are <laughs> people are, have gone That's through gone. the river's moved on <laughs> <laughs> it's not there. <laughs> it's uh, it, it, it's very true. But can you see an end coming now? Like, what is the um, what is the the um, the latest? Yeah, I mean, I think you know we yeah, we knew we had to get through the May holiday, right? And so that is through this the seventh. Um, and then I really do think they will start bringing you know things back. I think they've already started manufacturing uh, to go back. Uh, and I think many places started back the end of last week. Um, and then obviously like for us personally, we fall in, you know, tourism. And so it might take us a little bit longer to, to come back, right? And so we've tried so hard to keep people whole, you know, when we've been closed and, and all of that. Um, so like I said, it, every day there's like new people that are allowed to go out, but there's new restrictions, you know, for, for that. Um, they have started to set up like testing sites. So you, you can normally get your PCR test or NAT test and um, play it acid test uh, at a hospital, right? And then it registers and then you can show proof. It sounds like any, if you wanna do anything in the city, like you are going to need a test to show proof of a test within 48 hours. And so really that kind of means you have to test every 24 hours because it takes like six to 12 hours to get the report back. Um, but they've sent up like little, like, uh, I guess it looks like a food cart type thing or food kiosk type thing throughout the city that people will be able to just go and get a test, you know, as they're like crossing the street, right? Like they can go there and get that. So they have that. So right now they've already implemented those. So a lot of the workers, um, whether they be like from the hospital or the construction, you know, anything that's because stores are slowly starting to open, um, but they need to get that. So that's where the priority is right now. So um, I guess then in a way that is, you know, our way of starting to live with it uh, for, from that aspect. Um, and I think really not, and people are not afraid to get COVID here. I would tell you that they're afraid if they test positive and they're gonna have to go to an isolation center, you know, so there's mm -hmm. still that fear out yeah. there. So even though people will be able to move around, um, I don't know, initially it will be slow because people will still be afraid to, to you know, catch, Omicron is quite catchy, right? Like it's mm -hmm. very contagious, we know that. The whole yeah. world, you know. <laughs> the whole world has caught it, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so so um, definitely, mm -hmm. I think people will be slow to, to, even though they want to, to rejoin, you know, society in yes. that aspect, mm -hmm. so.
which is understandable. You, you mentioned those those quarantine centers, and that's different. Like when I look around the world and we see like everyone's been in lockdown of one form, but it sounds like what you're experiencing is really you know, the toughest type of lockdown. I mean, it's true, it's true lockdown that like you can't leave your house. And, um, and if you do test positive, you're actually taken away from your house and put in a quarantine center. And, you know, we, we hear this on the news and sometimes you don't know what's true and what's, what, what's not true, but that is actual uh, a fact that if you, if you test positive, you are literally taken to a quarantine center. Yes, that is true. Um, and I think, you know, at the start of this, they were, they're a bit hesitant with putting foreigners there and, and all of that because there's not a lot of English, but, you know, they got to a point where they just, they, they either got enough centers up and running so that they could put them there. So right now everyone has to go, not regardless if you're a foreigner or local. Um, and I think that, well, conditions have gotten a bit better from the first part because obviously there was lots of, <laughs> lots of backlash on it. So I would say anything you see really in the media is about 90 to 95% true. There's always going to be kind of a spin on this. And that's why some people are like, this is just not real, right? It's not real. Like, what is going on? No, it is real. I, I promise you. Um, from that aspect. And so uh, it's, so I, so I know a few people that are in the, the centers right now. And, you know, it's just, if you are truly sick rather than asymptomatic, it's not conducive for healing. That's for sure. Um, I had a few of my own team that actually went and it's just like bright lights all the time. You're in a big room with like, just think about a gymnasium with just oh like yeah. little beds and dividers, you know, from that aspect. Wow. It's not, if you are sick, it's not conducive to, to Yeah, it's the complete opposite. In fact, yeah, it sounds uh, the complete opposite. Cool. Let, let's just take a, a step back now, because normally we start with a little bit of background in terms of your story and how you came to to do the work you you, you did. Because of the situation, we've kind of jumped through uh, straight into uh, the, the Shanghai. But I'd love to ask you, like you have a big job, you know, clearly you're living in Shanghai. You're not a local Shanghai person. So I'd love to uh, understand a little bit more about your journey, how you came to be head of uh, workforce for Disney Shanghai. Yeah, um, actually, I started um, at uh, Disneyland in California in uh, 1993, so that's going to date me a lot. But <laughs> um, and I started um, as a frontline uh, merchandise hostess, right, working in the gift shops, interacting with guests. Because uh, you know, to back it up a little further, I went to Disneyland when I was 10. You know, on a trip, I grew up on the East Coast, and I was just like, I'm going to work here, right? And I <laughs> and started my job at Disney and because you know, I truly, I do, it, it sounds so silly when I say it sometimes, but I believe in Mickey Mouse. I believe in the power that, of, you know, just the magic he has and the smile he can bring on faces. And that's so unifying, right? Um, and so, um, and then I went into, um, for just on a, on a whim, I was looking for a way to, to make more money because we got a premium for this, but um, I became a shift lead. And so basically what that is, is, you know, you take care of the daily operation for the merchandise or store operations. And I had a specific area of the park and basically I managed their labor on the day, 
right? So I had, okay, here are all your resources for the day. And then people would call sick to me and I moved people around. Attendance would go up or it would go down and we would manage, you know, to make sure that we were meeting within budget and all of that. So you work very closely with the leaders for that. And then you learn to build relationships with people. Not only were these people that I worked with on the floor, but you know, so please come in. I'm so short. Can you come in for a six day, you know, you know, kind of barter back and forth and you're able to help them out um, later. And so, um, so that's how I started kind of in this workforce management world. Um, and then I kind of, you know, went into project uh, roles um, from there. Um, and then uh, in about 2000, we were expanding and that's when I became a scheduling leader. So my team was responsible for producing the schedules for all of the attractions um, for the new park that we were opening. Um, and it's really, we, in workforce management, you have a team that figures out the planning piece. This is where you execute, right? And this is all about being gray, right? Because people's schedules is all about emotion, right? So you have the, the analytical piece that puts you there and that's the puzzle, but it never the puzzle never looks the same at the end of the day. I don't think I've ever seen it look the same. Um, so I, as the leader, where my team had to be very kind of black and white with union rules, I had to be the gray with people who were unhappy with you know what they received and kind of working through um, that. And then um, I went into more project work as a project manager and I helped centralize our hotels into workforce management functions and we opened up a, a hotel office. Um, and at that point we were still, you know, uh, two of the three hotels were not Disney's when they first opened. So they still had their own little practices. They were still doing pen and paper schedules. So it was my job to help move them onto the, the whole process. Um, and so that was very unique for me. It was definitely about building relationships because I realized I can't take what I know from a theme park and apply to a hotel. It is completely different style of service. It's a complete different cultures, you know, from, from being over there. So it was learning really how to build that relationship and build the trust, right? Because they are very proud of their work, right? And, uh, and they should be because, you know, it, you know that is very, both are so unique and they just have a different touch to them. Um, and then I was able to go help open um, in that same kind of mindset, open Hong Kong Disneyland in 2005. So I was there for about six and a half um, months and it was um, a great experience. Uh, and, but again, you have to have that build the relationships. You don't come in with an ego. Right? You just think, I know best, you're going to do it much, especially if it's in a complete different country. So um, it's really like, I knew I couldn't do anything from Disneyland or Walt Disney World in Florida. We really had to build the process unique uh, to Hong Kong. And then I went back to the U.S. and I, I continue on the project work of a lot of different labor strategies, uh, lots of like uh, retention, you know, and trying to work through why are people doing certain things um, from, from that aspect and, and how can we help you know, um, stabilize them, right? And, and make them wanna be able to stay. Uh, and then in 2008 or um, early 2009, I had the opportunity to go back to Hong Kong as a local hire uh, to help them put in um, a, time a time and attendance system uh, and build that team. Uh, and so that's really started my journey back, you know, in Asia in 2009 and I've been here ever since. So I was there four and a half years um, and I loved it. I love, you know, I always have a special place in my heart for, for Hong Kong. Um, but I did, you know, feel like, okay, I can do more. I can make more of an impact. Uh, so when this opportunity came up, um, I was working a lot with people in the U.S. that were doing benchmarking. 
And it made me very concerned because they were definitely coming at it from a US perspective. I'm like, oh, that's not gonna work. This is not gonna work. I felt really I'm like, and I told my boss, I'm really worried about, about this. She's like, okay, well, tell them you're interested in the job for up there. And so, you know, I said, well, do, would they take someone that doesn't speak Mandarin? And she's like, well, let's just ask, you know? And, and, you know, I've been with my SVP like ever since, you know, it was very like, okay, we'll take you right from that aspect. So I came up here in um, spring of 2013 to really help build the organization um, and continue to move it forward. Um, at that point, you know, workforce management is huge right now around the world and has been a bigger spotlight since um, 2020, right? Because people do need more of this analytics and a more like circle of excellence type approach because we're all centralized here. Um, it normally lives a little bit in HR, a little bit in finance, a little in operation, but we're all centralized for our theme parks. And, um, you know, it, what, it took a while. It took a lot of relationship building, right? Because um, what I found here more than any other site is that they really want to learn about Disney, but they want to do things exactly the way they do it. <laughs> <laughs> the Disney magic, but I want to do it my way. So it was a lot of, you know, conversations of like, why do I even need you? Why are you here? to, you know, okay, this is Disney and you can't do that way because it's against the law, right? Like type thing of how they would do in their their practice in other places, right? You know, and, and so, um, but uh, that's been helpful, you know, over, you know, being with them from the start because we grew together um, with that. And so that they do trust my opinion and they know I'm not gonna let them hurt themselves either way. I'm not gonna let them have too many people. I'm not gonna have them too less. And my filter is always, you know, how can we, you know, how can I balance out your competing priorities so you can meet what you need? And it's not just about the business, it's about the people um, part of it. Because if you think about the business, it's really going to hurt the people sometimes when you think about cost savings and all of that of, oh, oh, you know, they can just work, you know, six days for three months. They can't. And if you work, if you've been in Shanghai in the summer, Hong Kong in the summer, you know, that is like awful, <laughs> right? Not have these people work that um, for, for like three months straight. So having to balance that, that piece out. That's fine. So your actual job, just for people who are not familiar with workforce management is to really like how, how, like what, what are the activities that you'll be doing? So you've got 10,000 people. So, yeah, when so are... my, yeah, my team, um, is, so I have a team of analysts and schedulers and, um, payroll admin type people. Um, and of course leaders, but, uh, they first work with the operator ops leaders to figure out what is their true need? What is the work? You know, what do we have to accomplish today in this upset amount of time, right? So what, what type of driver? So if I'm open nine to six, you know, how many people do I need at any given point during the day? What positions, right? So we turn that into a workload and we figure out what, um, how to meet that need, what type of people. So like, are they um, full-time? Are they interns? Are they part-time? Can we do it with a third party? We're um, trying to explore all those things and what's the most cost-effective uh, approach as well. And then we work with finance to kind of develop the budget on, on, on that. But at that point, we hand it off to our recruitment partners uh, in HR and they try to find us the people of when we and when we need them so the the number the volume and then the timing because we can't just say oh i need 100 people for this day right we have to kind of spread it out we have to consider okay it takes two weeks to train and i want them fully trained by a peak season so you know they have to be here on this day right so in theory if if i'm going to be 
um, busy by July 1st. I really need these people here probably the second week of June so that they can be fully trained and at least have a week under under their belts, you know, from, from that aspect. So, and then you also have training capacity, you know, how many people can you actually, what's the true number you can do in a week and, you know, that with um, resource constraints and all of that. Once they're hired, we put them through the training uh, and then my team works with the operators to, um, to produce their um, weekly rosters and their schedules uh, for that. And then um, working with them on any adjustments you know, to the forecast that might happen. Um, and then, uh, then it kind of goes to the day of and the leaders deal with that, like the call six and all of, of that perspective. And then the data comes back to us. We like go through the data uh, and make, you know, check for the data integrity. Uh, and then that gets shipped off to payroll so that they can pay it. And then it's just constant, you know, and then anything that would come up, right? Like uh, vaccines, my team is, you know, in charge of the vaccine schedules and, you know, from that and, and tracking all of that, you know, and any, any special event, anything that would come from, from that perspective, so. Well, wow. okay. That, that, thank you for sharing. That's a like, huge, uh, huge responsibility. I mean, the word that comes to mind, and I just want to pick up on something you said earlier, it's about balancing the needs of the business with the people. And of course, a lot of that is very business focused, you know, the analytics, the scheduling and all of those things. How do you get the right balance between the well-being needs of the people to ensure that their emotional needs are being um, catered for and the needs of, uh, of the business? Like, what is it? is there a process so like how do um how do you do that how do you ensure that that balance is uh, is met it's a process and sometimes we can do it and sometimes we can't just because of the the nature of the work right um so uh but it really is you know most leaders would be very you know when we're working with them they're very conscious of the number of hours somebody is working the number which we also we go back and forth and we audit that um and sometimes they'll drop positions so they don't have to staff it for the day so that's the conversation we'll have of even right now like coming out of this is that okay i know i'm going to be a bit short in our overall account and what what we can support so what don't we need to run to make sure that experience is okay for our cast members and if they do have to run a period of time you know when they're doing six days which is completely legal right from, from that aspect it's like just really let's come out and so what my schedulers will do is they'll kind of like say work out a plan so um you would get um three days off in two weeks right so you might get two days off you know one week the next week you're six days and they would rotate right so they could make sure you know that they're they're monitoring um so like my schedulers have a certain set number of cast or employees that they take care of and then they can they can um, pay attention to that and then it's really lots of relationships and, and talking and, and working with the leaders to make sure that we're meeting that but you know there are times when we just can't avoid it and um you know we try to to fix it as soon as possible or find other solutions to it so thank you for sharing that so, so the other question that comes to mind is china so clearly living in china now for this period of time i mean first of all the the the, the first question that comes to mind is how how do you do the job i mean do you speak mandarin now or um like <laughs> no. so, <laughs> so how, how do you because we talk about relationships we talk about communication how do you communicate with um the cast members and the workforce um i'm assuming that everybody can't speak english 
my uh, leadership team um, speaks English. And so, and some are better than others. Uh, most have been with me, you know, from the start. Actually, my whole leadership team has been with me from the start. Um, and so then they will take it down, but I have no problem. Um, and then most of our other leaders, you know, they do have English ability for who I usually interact with on a same basis. But um, but I would tell you, I have no problem with them to go back and forth in Chinese and then bring me into the conversation, you know, when they need my opinion or, you know, after they've worked it out, right? And so, you know, at any given time, um, you know, it'll be like, oh, Teresa, can we switch, you know, to, to Chinese? I'm like, it's fine, you know, because I can tell that they've been kind of going back and forth and someone might not, you know, have it right away. So, um, and then usually, and this is where I feel very honored is that they, you know, one of the people will go back, okay, and then they answer back in English, right? So I can tell, you know, here's, you know, where they got into the conversation. Um, so yeah, I, I know I'm in China. <laughs> And so I don't expect them to only speak English, you know, but it's then also bringing it back so that I can add the value uh, from, from that aspect. So, um, you know, and like my team, so I have a team of 70 people that, that work for me. And, um, you know, it's, I try to do um, regular touch bases with every single one, you know, throughout the quarter. Um, but I do find that I will send them the questions so they prepare in advance. And some of them, I cannot ask them anything outside of the questions because they sit and they rehearse, right? And they're so like, I'm like, okay, you know, okay. <laughs> there's no chit chat, you know, they just want to kind of go from that, which I respect too, you know, but. Uh, it's so, so fascinating. So tell me like now you've lived in China, must be what, 12 years, 13 years? Um, uh, so yeah, between Hong Kong and uh, yeah, here is like, a. Um, 13 years now. So. So, so how are you, how are you different? Like, how have you, what have you learned living in such a different um, part of the world with a very different lens? Um, I'm curious to, uh, uh, to, uh, to hear what you've, um, you know, what you've learned. Um, I think my lens just got stronger in the sense of being, you know, just sensitive, not sensitive, but aware uh, of just the, the vibrancy of other cultures you know, from, from that and what everyone kind of brings to the table. And it's just fascinating. And even China is such a big place, right? And there's so many cultures within China in itself, you know, and, and even within my own team where they all come from, you know, and the food, the differences in the food or the, the climate, you know, or, or things that they might be used to. So it, it's really, I feel like it makes me a better leader that I can be more self-aware to be open to, you know, listening to everything, you know, to help us get, you know, move things forward. Right. And I know what to filter, not filter, but, you know, um, everything, everyone brings something so unique to the table. So I just want as many, you know, points of view, you know, so you have the balanced, you know, that you, you try to solve for every, I want to say solve for everything, but you try to address as many things as, as possible. Um, from, from that aspect. Um, I think it's fascinating. I, I, I love it that my kids can speak. They, they can speak complete Mandarin. So can that's they really? Oh, that's amazing. Yes. That's such a gift. Yes. Such, such and a they, they won't talk it with me, right? Like, <laughs> but, uh, but that, you know, that is a great thing. And then they are exposed to so much more um, you know, from that. And, and so that's where sometimes I worry about going back home. I'm like, oh, I hope I'm not narrowing, you know, <laughs> their, their views, right. By, by doing that and continue to have their minds open. Mm. 
but I, I guess it would because I'd never lived in America I guess living in America would be new and different for, for them and I think having yes. new experiences and different uh, experiences is the way you expand your mind so I personally have loved traveling and uh, uh, because you learn and you, you you see how different people live and experience life so um, you know it, yeah. it's it's fascinating we're almost out of time we've got a couple more questions I know you're the president of the IPWC and I just wanted to um, understand a little bit more about what that is and um, and what you what you do because uh, we, we had a, a brief chat before and I know it's all about community which um, is so uh, such an important part of well-being and I think as we've all learned connection is so key such a key part of um, of any well-being strategy and when you isolate people you cut them off as we've been saying of course that really um leads to um to, to illness um over the over the long term but community connection it really fuels us as um, as as humans so i'd love to understand more about the work you do as president of the ipwc uh, yes, so uh, it is an organization that's been around for almost 30 years. It was started in 1993 um, by a group of expat uh, professionals. Um, back there, and it was expat uh, professional women's society at that point. Um, it went through a rebrand a few years ago, but it really is a platform for women to connect, learn, grow, and inspire each other. So we do have a very um, big community and member, um, you know, uh, dynamic when it comes up to things um, like so before it might have been a true like nine to five professional but we've kind of shifted into more like entrepreneur like the meaning of professional means something different now um, than it ha has you know in the past um, and then uh, we have a lot of people that are returning to the workforce maybe after raising their kids um, or just you know people are that are making career changes or people um, uh, local Chinese or uh, Chinese born um, citizens are coming back from uh, living abroad, right? And so they need, uh, they, they have had a different experience. So where's a place that they could go? So um, we know that we can't be everything to everybody, but we can provide the platform where they can connect to something that will provide them the need. Um, and so what's been challenging in this time, so we're a board of directors, a seven, uh, seven directors, uh, all volunteer um, based. And so, uh, and we really put on events that are um, focusing on professional development. Although this year we've kind of put on more of like, okay, professional development. Well, let's think about personal development as well because you need to be a whole person, right? And so we can't just think, oh, we wanna develop just the professional side, right? We want, you know, the well-being, you know, uh, to be focused on as well. Um, and so we usually do offline events and online events, return to transfer to. And what's been hard with this one is we usually do one to two events a month and people can really kind of get together. Plus we run our WeChat communities and um, from that aspect. Um, and we had our last event on Women's Day and then it kind of just kind of all got shut down <laughs> or shut down from, from that aspect. And we actually had to delay a bunch of different things in January as well. Um, and so it's, uh, it's been, uh, as a, the president quite and our board is, what, what can we do to provide our community with what they need, right? And so going back to that basic need, 
that basic need. Everyone was worried about food, right? To get their food, to, to transition to work, online learning, um, and, you know, being online all day, right? So we, you know, I would just be engaging with them in the WeChat group, just saying, hey, you know what? I'm going through a lot. I know you're going out reach out if you need it, right? And then we've been trying to figure out, okay, how do we come out of that? So last week we did um, a comedy session, which was very new for us because that's not professional development at all, but it was really just <laughs> a night for us to, and it was very random, but it's just like, let's take a night and laugh, right? Take a breath, not worry about if, you know, getting on a group by at this time or, you know, what needs to be done working remotely or what has to be turned in or, you know, what stage of you know lockdown I'm in. And uh, I think it was really a great evening. And so now what we're doing is, okay, what do you need to prepare for reopening, right? What are those you know key, uh, more well-being things, right? To make sure that you're mentally fit to kind of go through this. And then we can transition back into professional. Like, what do you need for this? Like, so trying to phase it. So, okay, we know what we're going through. We think they're kind of going through the same, right? And you can watch because, you know, when we first closed on, you see a lot of coaches and all the stuff, they're kind of hitting hard on some of this professional development. And I'm like, nobody wants that right now. Nobody cares. Like they just want to get through day to day. Right. <laughs> but we are now we're passing that. Right. And so, um, and I think the coaches have realized that I see a lot of our um, local coaches are offering free sessions, you know, just to kind of help people talk through things and, and uh, yeah, it's, it might be hurting their, their financials, but it's actually, you know, everyone's mm. trying to help the community rebuild right from, from that aspect. And so that's what it is. We're just getting into this phase of what can we do to provide them what they need to, to be prepared for this. Um, and then, you know, thrive when we're out of it, right? Because like, I think I said at the beginning of this is that we are going to get out of this, but there is going to be a cost and how can we, you Absolutely. know, throughout, exactly throughout the world. I mean, that's what we're seeing. It's like, it's now measuring the cost of the impact, you know, cause you can't lock people up for weeks on end without it having right. a cost and an impact and you know and that's becoming you know more aware because the world has never done this so this is what's interesting right. you know so now there's always consequences so we just don't see them at the time but i, lo I love what you say about comedy night because it reminds when i did my degree in psychology you know many moons ago now i actually did my um, dissertation on the power of humor um, really to deal with challenging situations uh, just like this and i think it, it really you know, brings home that point that when you're in a kind of survival mode which i guess you are you know when uh, when the future is so uncertain it's just let's get through today but how can we make today as pleasant as possible and humor comedy those types of things just take our take our, our minds away from the you know the very serious nature of um of of you know what's going on at the at the moment so mm -hmm. thank you thank you for sharing that so last question um and ask all my guests this but th this podcast is called the finding equilibrium show and it's all about balance and uh, and talking to you at the moment there's a huge amount that is out of balance but things come back into balance we know that you know the universe has a a way of finding balance <laughs> over over time it's just you just need more time to kind of look at the whole picture but when I ask you that, that when I say those words, finding equilibrium, what does that mean to you um, is question one. And then the other part of that question is, I'm curious what you do, because 
out of lockdown, you still got a massive job, lots of responsibility, lots of people. Um, in lockdown, it's a different uh, situation, but you still got the responsibilities. I'd love to know what you personally do to find equilibrium in your own life um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, um, what does finding equilibrium mean to you, first of all? You know where I think it's that, that moment where you can just take a deep breath and there's no other motion with it, right? Like it's just this content and calm, rightness from that. That's my equilibrium point where I don't have that anxiety, you know, and it's not, you know, where I have to think about this, 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 and I'm, I'm not running, you know, a million miles a minute in personal life in my head, you know, and, and all of that. It's just, you just have that feeling and you're whole and you're every, you know, that's, that is, my feeling, right? Like it's just that breath and not having any of that competing things with it. So I love that. It's like being really. You're just kind yeah, of Yeah, to be. It's just being. <laughs> That's where like you are, right? I love being. it. Yeah. So um and then for the second part of it is, you know, that is something that um, you know, I'm not the best at sometimes. <laughs> uh, but um I would tell you when I it's about people me that helps me find my equilibrium and I know my purpose right and my purpose is people my purpose is that connection so whether I see it in my kids you know and watching them grow and the laughter you know that fulfills me you know and knowing okay you're, you're not messing this up right like they are happy you know um or my team when they're achieving right and I know that they're pulling together and they're, they're doing things through our community when they come back to me and they say thank you for this thank you for doing this right that is my equilibrium because that allows me to breathe and be and knowing I'm doing it this is my purpose and that come helps me find that right so it's about people and knowing that I'm helping another person so I love that. Thank you so much. And Teresa, let me acknowledge you for like all the work you've done, because when you kind of step back and thank you for sharing your journey, but Disney, of course, connects and, and brings joy to so many people and you're very much uh, part of that. So when you actually think about the impact that you personally have on people, there's your own workforce, but then there's all the people who come to the park and to and experience, you know, everything that Disney has to offer. So, um, you know, congratulations for everything you do. I really hope this um, challenging period comes to an end soon. Um, and I'm sure, you know, we're all we've all learned from the experience and sometimes the worst experiences actually lead to uh, our greatest growth. So thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you for spending some time with us today. And uh, I, I look forward to continuing the conversation on uh, on another episode because I feel there's so much more that we can we can chat about. Thank you everyone for listening and for your for your attention and we will see you next time.